and welcome to Visual Novel Radio. My name is Ive and here at VNR I talk about visual novels independent of age and fame. There are many wonderful stories out there waiting to be experienced, but finding them is often not easy. I read a lot of visual novels and sometimes stumble upon rare gems that I believe should be shared. In this podcast I invite you to join me on a fantastic journey into a world that you may not have discovered yet. In this episode I will talk about Air. Air is a romance-focused visual novel developed by Key and published by Visual Arts in 2001. The story follows a lone traveling puppeteer named Yukito Kunisaki, who is searching for the girl in the sky. On his journey he comes to a small town at the seaside. Trying to earn some money for food and travel expenses, he meets a weird girl named Misuzu Kamio. He ends up staying at her house together with her mother and soon learns that there is more to her and the people in this town than he initially expected. I learned about the existence of this game from watching the 2005 anime adaptation by Kyoto Animation. I watched the show only on the basis of a MyAnimalist recommendation. Back then I was aware of the existence of visual novels, but I didn't value them the same I do today. It was a sweet experience, but ultimately it felt very rushed and could have profited from more episodes with more character development. Especially the ending felt very much out of place due to that. Several years later, I decided to give the VN a try and headed over to Steam before coming to my senses and checking VNDP for other releases. Almost 20 years after its release, there is still no official English version of Air available, but a fan-made patch exists that can be applied to the original Japanese game. Being one of the old generation of visual novels, its gameplay consists of numerous choices with very little context. That makes it very hard to discern which option leads to which outcome. Playing the game blind is therefore a very time-consuming task, so I opted to follow a guide. This way I was able to experience the game to its fullest without having to experiment on the choices. The story branches naturally into the three available character routes based on the player's decisions. The first three routes are part of the dream story arc. After those are completed, the next route called Summer becomes available. This arc has no choices and serves as a prequel to the story. Once that route is finished, the final arc called Air unlocks, which has a few inconsequential choices. The order of the routes in the dream arc does not matter. Please be aware that this episode contains major spoilers for all arcs including the true ending. The story starts out with the main protagonist, Yukito, arriving in a small seaside town in the middle of summer. The merciless heat descends upon him as he exits the bus and sits down at the bus station to think about his next steps. He is a traveling puppeteer, 
never stays at one place for too long and earns money by performing his magical puppet show for children. His puppet is an old dirty rag doll which he can move using only his will. Yukito's power is called Hojutsu, which translates in meaning to magic art. It is a supernatural talent passed down to each generation in his family. His ancestors were supposedly very powerful with it and could even perform small miracles. Over the centuries, however, the power faded and his own abilities are barely enough to move a puppet. Having inherited this power from his mother, who was also a traveling performer, Yukito follows her footsteps and aims to find the girl in the sky. It is an old tale his mother told him before she passed away. Although he does not know what it really means, he has decided to take up the task. Not planning to stay long in this small town where he can't even gather an audience large enough to earn enough money for food, he jumps to action immediately as he sees two children approaching the bus station. With his usual manner he tries to interest them in his puppet show, to which they don't really agree but rather accept. He performs his show and pesters the children for money, which they answer by kicking his puppet far away into the bushes and escaping the scene. Frustrated and hot, he starts searching for it until he passes out due to hunger and receives some help from a group of fishermen and an old lady. They give him some food, which revitalizes him a bit and he continues his search. As night time is approaching, he still has no luck finding his puppet when he meets a young girl in a school uniform. Initially he does not want to get involved with her, but she offers him something to drink and helps him to look for the puppet. Together they find it and the girl, who by that time has introduced herself as Kamio Misuzu, even offers him a place to sleep at her house. Having nowhere else to stay, he accepts and they head to Misuzu's home. A little later they have dinner together and Misuzu's mother, Haruko, comes home. She is not exactly pleased about the strange man staying at her house, but she decides to give him a chance. Together they drink into the night until they pass out. The next day Haruko leaves the house early for work, leaving Yukito and Misuzu on their own again. Yukito leaves the house to explore the town and find a place to earn some money. He meets several other people including Kano Kirishima, Minagi Tono and her younger friend Michiru. Their individual routes are miraculous experiences in typical key fashion. Each character has their own story of how they came to this point and why they do what they do. In this episode, however, I will focus on the main route only. Misuzu is suffering from an unexplained psychological condition. She acts a bit aloof towards the world, but that is just the result of that. She sometimes breaks down crying for no reason and can barely calm down. That condition keeps her socially isolated to a degree because it makes it impossible for her to have friends. People don't shun or avoid her, but they have trouble talking to her after witnessing one of her breakdowns. Yukito and Haruko are the only other people Misuzu can rely upon. As the player finds out very early in the story, Haruko is not Misuzu's real mother. She is actually her aunt and has been taking care of her for most of her life following her real mother's death. 
Misuzu's father has been avoiding his daughter for several reasons, but mostly because he was not able to deal with the death of his wife for so long. In one of their drinking sessions, Haruko offers Yukito a place to stay in exchange for him taking care of Misuzu during the day. In her route, he spends a lot of time with her and because of that, she eventually opens up to him about her dreams. In one of them, there is another her in the sky with wings, all alone and sad. Yukito once again remembers the story his mother told him. There is a girl in the sky. She has been there for a long time. She is alone and has dreams. Her dreams are about the past. Eventually, she will experience phantom pains. On the morning of her final dream, she will die. Making the connection, Yukito suspects that Misuzu is the girl he was looking for. All events happen continuously like they do in his mother's story. Misuzu gets sick more frequently. She occasionally loses the ability to walk. She starts forgetting things and people. Even Yukito experiences terrible pain in his back, which feels like an old wound. He knows that he has to do something. His mother told him the story in more detail and he listened attentively, so he remembers the rest of it. It says that whoever gets close to the girl will also fall ill and die with her. Her crying fits are generally enough to have people keep their distance from her, but those who stay beside her will suffer the same fate as the girl. By that time, Yukito has fallen in love with Misuzu and he already came to terms with the fact that he might stay in this town for good. Faced with reality, he cancels his plans and packs his few belongings in order to leave. If he isn't near Misuzu, none of them will have to suffer. Misuzu tries to convince him to stay, but fails. She even asks to come with him, thus displaying her naivety. Yukito leaves and heads out for the bus station, the point where everything started, and waits for the bus. Multiple buses pass by and stop, but he never gets on. Mulling over the events that he witnessed in those past days, he remembers the purpose of his life other than searching for the girl in the sky. It is to make children laugh, just like his mother did with her performances. His act is boring and children are not interested in seeing it. Meeting the group of children from his first day again at the same bus station, he asks them for advice on how to improve his show. Having found a new old meaning in his life, he changes his mind about leaving and heads back to Misuzu's house. She is still there and sleeping. He manages to wake her up, but she is weak and he suspects the worst. Wishing with all his might upon the puppet, it suddenly radiates bright glowing light and he hears the voice of his mother again. She tells him the story again and asks him to save the girl in the sky, as she herself was not able to. Generations before him could not help her in any way, but they never gave up. Whether he did it or not remains open, as Misuzu's route concludes in a happy but open ending. Since I watched the anime, I already knew what to expect and how the story would end, so I was quite surprised at the mild resolution of Misuzu's route. I knew that there would be more backstory in the different ending, but the VN ending was very underwhelming as a start. I did play Minagi's and Kano's roots too, 
but they were effectively the same as in the anime. The stories are a wonderful experience in itself, but are almost completely self-contained. In general, the whole connection to the main plot is that both of them have been touched by the feather of a winged being in the shrine at the mountaintop. Their lives have moved in irregular ways and not all of these changes have been good ones. Through their roots, Yukito discovers more about the girls themselves and the influence of the feather's magic on them. Apart from that, they are largely irrelevant to the main plot. Upon completion of the three character roots, also called the Dream Arc, the next chapter in the story opens up to be played, called Summer. There are no choices in this route, and it tells the origin story of the whole tale. It starts in feudal Japan, in a small shrine somewhere in the mountains. The year is 994 AD, 1000 years before the main story. The main protagonist in the Summer Arc is a samurai named Ryuya. He is on his way to his new assigned position as a guard of Kanabi no Mikoto, a young girl and winged being. He meets her on the way, but is not aware of her identity at this point and treats her in a rather rude manner. Even after she reveals who she is, he barely changes his attitude towards her. This, however, does not displease her very much and the two start interacting more with each other when he is not on his regular guard duties. Winged beings are cherished as divine messengers, but also kept guarded and imprisoned at the same time. They possess immense powers and can fly, which makes them powerful allies in wars and battles. Kana does not know of that and she herself does not understand why she lives in a castle-like shrine all of her life without seeing the outside world. Her handmaid Uraha is her best and only friend who is always on her side and helps her with whatever she needs. The trio gets closer over the few days that Ryuya is stationed there and Kana is visibly happier with him around. One day, however, things change. Ryuya receives an order to help prepare the relocation of Kanabi no Mikoto to a new shrine. Additionally, he is to gather all documents concerning winged beings and destroy them. Being suspicious about the order, he asks several questions about it but each of them goes unanswered. As he confronts Kana about what she wants, he notices that she has already resigned herself to her fate of yet again being separated from the ones she loved. He also meets Uraha a while later and finds her preparing to escape together with Kana. He joins in her attempts and starts making preparations himself in addition to fulfilling his duties at the shrine. One night before the day of Kana's relocation, he finally manages to contact Kana herself again. Previously, she tried to isolate herself from everyone, but Ryuya sneaks into her room with Uraha's help. He asks her again what she wants to do, only to find her in resignation to her fate again. He then offers his services to her as guard of Kanabi no Mikoto and vows to follow every order she gives him. She then finally takes up the courage to make her own decisions and orders him to help her see her mother. He gladly accepts and swears loyalty to her. Just then Uraha shows up and they make their escape through the harsh rain into the forest. Shortly after their escape they meet a group of soldiers marching towards the shrine. Fearing pursuers, they hide successfully and notice later on that the shrine in the distance is on fire. Kana's relocation should have happened the next day, 
but they would have been attacked the day before and probably killed. Keeping up their escape, they come across another patrol that is clearly searching for them. Ryuya hatches a plan to divert the opposing forces into the wrong direction to buy them more time. He succeeds and even isolates a single enemy soldier to extract information on who is hunting them. After interrogating him at sword point, he is about to execute the man when Kana interrupts him. She is appalled at his actions, especially after he promised not to kill the man if he told him what he knows, and makes him swear an oath to not take a life ever again. He does so and knocks the soldier unconscious before tying him to a tree out of sight. A few days pass and their surroundings become quieter, showing no signs of pursuers anymore. The group allows themselves to relax a bit and talk about their next steps. The goal is to find Kana's mother, but neither of the three knows anything about her whereabouts. Ryuya has heard previously from a fellow guard that supposedly a winged being was kept in a shrine south of them who had a daughter. This being their only lead, they decide to follow it and search for the place. On the way they come across a market with a crowd of people. Ryuya and Uraha try to gather information there, while Kana walks around the stands and is overwhelmed by the whole spectacle. Having never been outside of the shrine, such simple things capture her for hours and she even fights a chicken while browsing. In order to not stand out and raise suspicion, Ryuya has to constantly rein her in and pretend to the people that she is mentally challenged, which they seem to believe. After a few hours, Uraha returns with new information. There are checkpoints set up and they check young girls for wings on their back. Trying to avoid being exposed, they leave the market and head south into the woods. On a quiet evening in the forest, they start talking about Kana's mother at the campfire. Kana can't remember much from her past before she came to the shrine, but still manages to remember some valuable information. She remembers some details about how she was transported and what the guards were talking about. Through that, Uraha and Ryuya narrowed the destination down to one shrine and promptly head there the next day. After a long journey, the trio arrives at the vicinity of the shrine in the south. Uraha senses a magical barrier close by and Ryuya hears faint sounds of a battle commencing. They stay close together and move carefully, but cannot avoid running into free soldiers. Ryuya makes quick work of them without taking a life, just like he promised to Kana. They realize that they are surrounded and move into the direction of the barrier. Just before they reach it, they are ambushed by two strong warriors that recognize Kanabi no Mikoto and want to prevent her from entering the sealed off area at any cost. Ryuya emerges victorious once again, but gets gravely injured in the process as one of the foes slashes his sword across his back, leaving a gaping wound. They cross the barrier in just a nick of time and allow themselves a short rest. Patching their wounds and clothes as quickly as they can, they continue to search the area and find a cave that radiates a strong aura. Heading inside, they find a winged being locked behind heavy iron bars. The woman is hostile at first, threatening them if they don't leave, but upon seeing Kana spreading her wings, she realizes that Kana is her child. 
They have succeeded in finding Kana's mother, but she herself refuses to leave her prison, explaining to the group that her body is corrupted. Ryuya manages to convince her to leave and be rejoined with her daughter, and they free her soon afterwards. With the woman leaving the cave, the barrier weakens and some of the pursuers manage to get inside. Back on the run, Kana's mother forbids everyone to touch her and even be close to her, saying it is for the best. Kana and Uraha do not understand this and beg her to allow Kana some physical contact. But just before they can continue talking, a hail of arrows descends upon the group. Ryuya, being slowed down by his injury, barely deflects some of them. As the wave stops, they notice that Kana's mother was hit by two arrows. One in her shoulder and another straight through her heart. Just before she collapses, she unleashes a furious display of a winged being's power and annihilates most of the army that attacked them. While she is lying there awaiting death, Kana ignores all previous orders from her to not touch her, as this will likely be the last time she will see her mother. Holding her tightly, she presses her face on her mother's cheek. Not having felt another person's touch in countless years, her mother is joyful and sad at the same time. She reveals that she has been cursed, which is why her body is corrupted. Not wanting to touch anybody meant that the curse would have died with her, but instead she now passed it on to her daughter. Kana and her mother share a tearful goodbye, and the trio is on the run again, as the barrier has now fully collapsed. As it becomes clear that they cannot escape anymore, Ryuya wants to sacrifice himself to buy Uraha and Kana more time, but Kana holds him back. Instead, she takes off her clothes and reveals her wings. As if she had awakened her own powers after witnessing her mother's, she starts to rise towards the sky, emitting an immense white light, thus drawing attention to herself. The army, consisting of archers, swordsmen and priests, attack immediately. The priests start to use the hojutsu in order to banish the demon into the sky. Kana disappears, but Uraha and Ryuya escape. About a year later, while traveling in search for Kana, they come across a monk who knows their identities and asks them to follow him. They reach a small temple and meet the eldest monk there, who tells them more about winged beings and what happened to Kana. He and Uraha are able to hear her voice faintly, so Uraha asks him to teach her hojutsu. He agrees and they start living at the temple. Ryuya's body grows weaker with each passing day. His wound never fully heals and it appears that the curse is also eating away at him. Uraha studies hojutsu day and night and eventually masters it well enough to be able to see Kana. She is shocked and deeply hurt when she sees the situation Kana is in. The girl is still in the sky, seeing the same dream, her worst nightmare, over and over. She screams Ryuya's name, whose lifeless body is laying in her arms. Worst of all, her curse will continue for hundreds of years to come. Uraha and Ryuya cannot help her in any way. Uraha's hojutsu is by far not enough and Ryuya's time is running out swiftly. Uraha therefore makes an unexpected suggestion. She suggests for them to have a child together, who could continue the legacy 
and eventually save the girl in the sky. Ryuya is a bit hesitant, but eventually agrees to her proposal. A few months later, Uraha becomes pregnant. She starts preparing everything she will need for the child, which includes a puppet made out of cotton cloth. Planning to entertain her child with it, she makes it walk using her hojutsu. On a warm summer day, Ryuya passes away peacefully in her lap as they both watch the sunset together, feeling only her warm tears on his face like summer rain. The ending of the summer arc was as tragic as it was bittersweet. It showed that a dedicated family carried the legacy of Kanabi no Mikoto over a thousand years until it was time for Yukito to take up the task. Even though his mother left him with the choice of living his own life or finding the girl in the sky, his path led to Misuzu. With that, the final arc, simply called Air, opens up. The final arc of the game starts out the same as the dream arc, except this time around it is told from the perspective of a crow. A lonely bird with no memories that cannot fly. The crow is soon found by a young girl who names him Sora, meaning sky. The girl is Misuzu. Sora takes a liking to her and starts to follow her around. He can't understand what she is saying, but for some reason Sora feels that he belongs with her. As if he is meant to be with her. Misuzu takes him along on her shoulder and soon meets Yukito for the first time again. The story continues in the same manner and all events are identical to the dream arc. Yukito's search for the girl in the sky, Haruko's drinking habits, Misuzu's fits, and even to the point where Yukito falls in love with Misuzu. He tries to leave town again, but changes his mind and decides to stay with Misuzu, who is so weak by then, that he again wishes with all his powers to be with her. The puppet starts to glow again, but this time Yukito vanishes. Sora witnesses all of those events up to this point, and from that moment on, after Misuzu awakens, his memories return. Yukito's wish was to be together with Misuzu, to experience the time together one more time, to be with her, to be there for her. His wish was granted. He came back to her, but not the way he expected. He came back to her in the form of a crow, Sora. In that moment he is able to transform back into his human form for a short time in order to say his proper goodbye to Misuzu. They sit on top of her bed, hugging each other, shedding tears of sadness and joy. After this moment, Yukito vanishes again and Misuzu understands that he came back as Sora. In the meantime, Haruko has grown to understand the situation and made arrangements to be able to adopt Misuzu as her daughter. Misuzu's mother was her sister, but her father is from the Tachibana family and as her biological parent has the final say in who gets parenting rights for her. Haruko has for that reason never wanted to be too close to Misuzu. Any day someone could potentially show up and take her away forever. She bought birthday presents for the girl but never gave them to her out of fear. The last present was a plushy dinosaur that she threw away near the shrine after taking a trip there with Sora. At the end of Misuzu's route in the dream arc, 
Haruko leaves for a trip to the hot springs as Misuzu is sick and lies in bed, unable to move her legs. Yukito despises her for that, but she left him in the dark about the real purpose of her trip. She went to the Tachibana family house and begged them for ten days straight to allow her to keep Misuzu. After they finally gave in, she headed back to the Kamiya residence to bring her daughter the good news. Misuzu, knowing about the curse, still tries to keep her distance from Haruko in order to spare her a fate of suffering, but her desire for familiar love eventually overpowers her. They warm up to each other so much more within the next few days than ever in the past ten years. Just as things seem to be getting better, Misuzu's condition worsens and she falls ill again. It starts out slowly, but eventually progresses just like Yukito has seen in his dream. When Misuzu's health reaches a low point, Keisuke, her father, shows up and plans to take his daughter with him. Haruko is furious with him and puts up heavy resistance, but she knows that she is powerless in the end. She asks him to give her three days before the final decision where Misuzu has to say with whom she wants to live from now on. Haruko hopes that her memory will return by that time. In the following three days, Misuzu's condition barely improves and Haruko realizes that she has bitten off more than she can chew. She doubts her own abilities as a mother and eventually decides to give Misuzu to Keisuke, who has already prepared a hospital stay and various doctors for Misuzu's treatment. Keisuke and Haruko meet at the appointed date and Haruko asks him to allow her one last trip to the beach with the currently sleeping Misuzu. He accepts and they head over to the ocean. There, Haruko carries Misuzu on her back to watch the sunset together, before handing her sleeping body over to Keisuke. He takes the girl in his arms and starts walking away with her, when Misuzu suddenly starts to trash and scream. She drops to the ground and manages to stand up despite her weak legs, shouting Mama! Over and over, she slowly makes her way to Haruko, who by that time has started running towards her. They are reunited and Misuzu makes it clear that she wants to stay with her mother. Haruko and Keisuke have a talk after that. Keisuke sees their affection for each other and realizes that he is no match for that. He allows Misuzu to stay with Haruko, but wants to send a doctor he trusts over a few times to check on Misuzu's condition. Haruko agrees and they see each other off as friends instead of enemies this time. Unfortunately, Misuzu's health shows no signs of improvement. Haruko does her best to stay with her daughter and even Sora never leaves her place. The bond between them grows even tighter and Haruko tries to make up as much time as she can for the last 10 years. She spends every waking minute with Misuzu and promises her to take her to the summer festival this year, which is due in a few days. The summer festival 10 years ago was when she took Misuzu in. She wasn't a proper mother to her back in the day and regrets many things she has done since then. This year she wants to do it properly, but on the day of the festival, a typhoon hits the small town. Haruko is devastated. With a rainstorm like this, the festival will be surely cancelled and she won't be able to fulfill her promise to Misuzu. A few days earlier, she had realized that all the things Yukito said had come true. She fell ill, had phantom pains, 
had forgotten everyone she held dear. The only thing missing was her final dream, the morning after which she would die. Since that, she hasn't allowed Misuzu or herself to sleep, so that she could possibly prevent the inevitable by fulfilling the girl's wishes. Eventually, Haruko still tries to go to the shrine on the mountaintop, despite the rain with Misuzu on her back. All the while, she prays to God for a miracle to have the summer festival not be cancelled. Arriving at the shrine, all her hopes are shattered. The place is empty. No stalls, no people, no signs of the festival at all. She is about to give up hope when she sees the dinosaur plushie, which she threw away several days ago, sitting at the top of the stairs to the shrine's entrance. Haruko may be able to keep her promise after all, no matter how slim if she could get the present to Misuzu. The girl reaches out her arms after it and manages to get hold of the toy with Haruko's help. That moment represents all of the missed memories that Haruko and Misuzu could not experience together. Going to the summer festival, eating stall food, having her mother buy her something as a present. The happiest moment in their lives on the top of a mountain at the place of a cancelled summer festival in the middle of a rainstorm. They both head home and dry themselves up. Haruko is just as tired as Misuzu, but does not allow herself to sleep. Misuzu pretends to feel better in order to convince her to get some rest, and Haruko believes her. Once she falls asleep, however, Misuzu stays awake playing cards all night and suffering through the pain. The next morning, Misuzu pretends to be healthy again and asks Haruko to go for a stroll in the town. They head out, Misuzu in her wheelchair and Haruko pushing her along slowly. After they had a drink at the girl's favorite vending machine, Misuzu makes a request to Haruko. She is to move away about 10 steps from her and wait for her there while she walks over. Haruko complies and Misuzu starts walking. Roughly three steps before she reaches Haruko, Misuzu stops and asks if she is allowed to reach her goal now. At that moment, Haruko realizes everything. This would be Misuzu's final walk. Her body was exhausted and she was still in pain for the last few days. Tears stream down her face as she denies the reality. She insists that they still had so much to experience and that their life as mother and daughter has just barely started. Misuzu, however, smiles and tells Haruko happily that she already has experienced all of it, thanks to her. She starts walking again and falls towards Haruko on her final step. Haruko hugs her tightly and Misuzu dies in her arms with a smile on her face. About a month after Misuzu's death, Haruko and Keisuke sit together as friends and talk about the past. Haruko mentions that she has been crying since that day and seems to have finally run out of tears. She realized the meaning of family and what it means to share their happiness and pain. k 
Keisuke thanks Haruko for being such a good mother to Misuzu and being together with her in her final moment. The epilogue starts. Yukito's mother continues her tale and wishes that the last child of this thousand-year-long curse may be blessed with happy memories. The ending of this thousand-year-old tale, albeit fictional, has moved me in many ways. The story had great writing overall, but could have used a little less filler. While the game is regarded as one of the weaker key novels, it is still an experience worth the relatively long time to complete. The seaside town that the story takes place in is based on the city of Kami in the Hyogo prefecture in Japan. The seawall where Yukito meets Misuzu for the first time and also the train station which has a significant role in Minagi's route are also based on real places in its vicinity. Air is a very underappreciated visual novel. It never had an official Western release, which means that the anime adaptation was the West's only contact with the story. The anime itself was not bad, but it tried to squeeze the story with all its arcs into just 12 episodes. So much context was lost and some scenes outright did not make any sense. I am incredibly fortunate to have been able to experience the full story directly from its source, thanks to the unofficial fan translation available on the internet. In all these years, the signature of a key visual novel has never faded. Fumihiko Shimo's writing, coupled with Jun Maeda's amazing music, has again managed to deliver an experience that is unparalleled even until today. If you wish to experience the game for yourself, you need to acquire the original Japanese copy, along with the patch by Gao Gao translations. This episode is dedicated to Tomoko Kawakami. Tomoko was the voice actress for Misuzu Kamio in the visual novel as well as in the anime. She has also voiced several well-known characters like Utena from Revolutionary Girl Utena, the girl from the Illusionary World in Klanot, and Athena from Arya among many others. Tomoko Kawakami died on June 9, 2011 at the age of 41 following a three-year battle with ovarian cancer. The greatest gift we can give is the gift of time. With this, I am very happy that you are still listening and hope you enjoyed the podcast. I aim to release at least one new episode per month and would be happy to have you tune in again. Please subscribe to VNR to be notified when a new episode launches. My name is Bin Ayev and with that I say goodbye, until next time.